credit scores, down payments, interest rates. Car buying can be a numbers game, but you don't have to be a math expert to get the keys to your dream car. Just use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. Crunch your numbers and get personalized results so you know exactly how much you'll pay each month for your car. It's like having a magic wand for your wallet. Presto! The car you've been wanting is now within reach. So hit the road and leave your calculator at home. Auto Trader. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great great grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to the Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too, and we're just batching it on this episode of Stuff You Should Know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so before we get going, my friend, we want to oh. uh, alert people. We got a little something special at the end of this episode. Our former colleague, who is no longer with iHeart, but dare I say, one of the best dudes ever and one of our most beloved uh, colleagues, uh, Mangesh Hatakadur, he has is doing his own little, uh, like he calls it, his own little podcast shingle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's making shows now, and he has a great new show that he's launched called Obsessions, colon, Wild Chocolate, hosted by Rowan Jacobson. And we're going to play uh, a preview of that at the end of the episode, but we wanted to tell people what it was about, right? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Like, they kind of call it the Indiana Jones of chocolate. Yeah. Where basically these people who are, like, really into chocolate, they're chocolate makers, are like, yeah, all this cacao that we're finding is really good and some's better than others. But we've heard legend that deep in the Amazon, there's cacao that will knock your socks off, and they go to find it. Yes. And Mangesh made a <laughs> podcast out of it. So, so it's cool. really interesting stuff. It's really well made. Uh, Mangesh is really good and knows what he's doing with podcasting. So, Congratulations to him on his podcast company, Kaleidoscope, and on Wild Chocolate, too. That's right. So check it out, Obsessions Wild Chocolate. It's wherever you can get podcasts. And stick around after Listener Mail, where we're going to have a little preview of it. Okay, Chuck. So we're back at it, then. That's right. A little COA here. This one's probably rated at least PG-13. I would say that, yeah. I mean, it's not rated R, necessarily. But, uh, you know, there's it's about bachelor and bachelorette parties. So there's going to be talk about some stuff. You want mm-hmm. your, Do you really want your kid to learn about bachelor parties? No. I don't either. No. It's a fair no. warning. And if you are in other parts of the world and you're like, a bachelor party, what's that? We're talking about a stag party. Sure. For those of you in the U.K., Ireland, and Canada. Uh, in Australia, we're talking about the Bucks party. Bucks party. For That was that was Boston. <laughs> and by the way, have you seen uh, Kevin Can F Himself? Uh, no, I have not. We got recommended that from a lot yeah. of uh, people after the sitcom's up. It's Yeah, it's good. I, that's where I picked it up, too. I mean, I was familiar with or aware of it, but um, yeah, it's definitely, is it good? it's definitely worth watching. Yeah. All right. I've only seen the first episode, and I'm like, this, is, this has legs for sure. What does that have to do with Bucks parties in Australia? It's set in Worcester. <laughs> and oh, the, you said the, I sounded uh, like I was from Boston. Yes, exactly. Okay, I got you. And the lead, I don't know the actor's uh, name, but she, you know, from um, Schitt's Creek, the daughter, yeah, yeah. sister from Schitt's Creek. So Annie, she does uh, an uh-huh. amazing, like, Boston accent without overdoing it. Like, I, you, she's really good. So it's a good good show, Chuck. Uh, well, quickly then, while we're segueing or diverting, uh, I was just in Boston, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to shout out. I went up there for a pavement show. Mm-hmm. And from my hotel room, I looked out, and what was sitting there but the Wilbur Theater. Yeah. Our Boston live performance home right outside my hotel window. Yep. And right next door to the Wang Theater where Pavement played. Okay. And I probably bumped into seven different Stuff You Should Know listeners. Oh, cool. Who all came up and chatted it up, sat right next to a couple, mm-hmm. and uh, promised them live show freebies. Which they need to email me, by the way, if you're out there and listening. Very nice. That's the only way it can happen. 
We'll probably be in Boston this year is a, a better than average chance, wouldn't you say? I would say so. So just a big shout out to the Bostonites because they're always super supportive and nice. And I think my friend from high school and his friends who were with us were like, geez, is Chuck that famous? And I answered, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> like This is like, this happens once every few months, not seven times in a night. Sure. I think the fact that it took place at a pavement show kind of skewed the, the um, end population. Yeah, they were probably on the lookout. At any pavement show, I might be there. Yeah. So back um, to the content. <laughs> yeah, back to back to bachelor parties. What do they call um, them in France? Oh, in France they have a great name for them, the Enterrement de vie de garçon, which means the burial of the life as a boy. Ooh, heavy. Which makes a lot of sense because bachelor parties in particular started at a time like the late 19th century uh is when they really started to to become what we understand of them today mm-hmm. um, at a time when like you probably were there was a higher than likely chance that you were going into marriage as a virgin mm-hmm. and so this was exposing you for one last time your one last opportunity to you know um, how do I put this man so I feel your like oats. I'm, so I guess but without actually doing that, more just like, you know, seeing a, a naked woman doing a strip tease or something like that. Like, this was your chance to do that before you got married kind of thing. And so back then, it actually made sense in a certain way. Whereas today, because people are getting married later and later, the bachelor party makes less and less sense. Mm-hmm. But the same behavior mm-hmm. from days of yore uh, is expected. So there's this weird, tense juxtaposition between bachelor parties now and how people actually, whether or not they enjoy bachelor parties today. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I think we should just go ahead and say, I can speak for you. Neither one of us are big on the traditional bachelor party. No. Uh, We're trying, we're going to try not to yuck the yums and (laughs) get too judgy. I went camping for my quote unquote bachelor party. Nice. Uh, That's, I've never been into strip clubs at all. Uh, much less for a bachelor party, which is, uh, it, it just it makes me uncomfortable just thinking about it. <laughs> well, supposedly, Chuck, like there's there was a at least one ethnographic study. Um, oh, I can't find it right now. We'll come across it later on. Oh, from 2016, this uh, this ethnographic study basically followed um, bachelor parties to Ibiza and like other places around Europe, and they interviewed. Um, like the people who were there just kind of candidly and most of them were like, no, I, I really right. don't enjoy this <laughs> at all. I'm not having that much fun. Like the time when we're hanging out back at the rented house drinking together, yeah, that's fun. Sure. But like being put on stage and, you know, whipped by a stripper is not that fun. It's yeah. kind of humiliating and no, it's not really enjoyable, but I feel like I have to go through it. So that's the, that tension that I was talking about where it's like that kind of body raucous, you know, objectifying behavior that, again, kind of like maybe made sense in the 50s in a different time. It doesn't make sense today, but people still do it. And so it makes people deeply uncomfortable um, as far as most, I can't say most studies, as far as plenty of studies who mm-hmm. have actually looked at this thing and, and a lot of anecdotal evidence to say. Yeah, I th- I'm a full belief that the traditional hedonistic bachelor party thing is being driven still by like a small minority of guys that are yes. like, you got to do it, dude. That kind of guy. They are called your desperate, already <laughs> married friend. Those are the ones that are trouble at a bachelor party. Those oh, are the ones didn't. you have to look out for. Those are the ones that push everybody else to do dumb stuff that they wouldn't totally normally right. do and that they'll later regret. <laughs> It's As a matter of really fact, if you want to have a chill bachelor party, do not invite no. your desperate already married <laughs> friends. No, not at all. Or hopefully if you're, you know, get married a little later in life, then then everyone is sort of a little more on board with something chill. And that seems to have um, caused bachelor parties to evolve into, you know, what they're becoming more and more today, which are basically like men's retreats yeah. to barbecue and like hike and stuff like that. And there are definitely – Plenty that go to Vegas or, you know, go out of the country or something like that and just party hard. But there's a, a growing number of, of ones that just do 
like you said, like go camping, yeah. you know, just hang out with your pals, which is ultimately what the point's supposed to be. The point of a bachelor party isn't to humiliate the groom-to-be, but that is a, a huge kind of through thread uh, in a lot of them. The point is to just like celebrate your time as an individual. I saw it put so perfectly. It was on a gay marriage website. And they were talking about whether you should throw a bachelor party for both grooms or a combined one. And this website was saying uh, one for each because what they're doing is going into a marriage and they're combining themselves. This is one of those times when they can be celebrated as individuals separately, distinctly. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what a bachelor party is supposed to be about. It's celebrating this individual before they they basically become responsible and enter into a union with another person and become a couple— that's that's ideally what the bachelor party sentiment is supposed to be. That's right. Uh, and I, the only time I will get super judgy is if you are one of those dudes that thinks it is okay or you should, like, ha- have sex with one last girl b- <laughs> right. before you get married. Make the worst decision you've ever made. You are cheating on them, and you will cheat on them again one day probably. And that is not right in any way, shape, or form. So, again, this is anecdotal self-reporting, right. but on George Takei's website, okay. I don't know what, hey what he was doing. He hosted like a—that um, was Jeffrey Tambor and George Takei crossed together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or Hank—what was Hank's name? Yeah, yeah. Hank. Yeah. Um, so, on George Takei's website, he had this, this like, list of, like, people who wrote in and said, like, yeah, I was at this bachelor party and the wedding ended because the the groom cheated on his fiance like, at the bachelor party the night before the wedding. Yeah. And, the, the you know, the fiance found out because her brother's there. Yeah. That you know, was part <laughs> of the bachelor party. Um, and so, apparently, uh, there have been, uh, again, I, I didn't see, like, you know, anything out of, like, Rutgers or MIT that was a study on this, but anecdotally, there have been marriages that have ended before they started because mm-hmm. just terrible decisions were made at the bachelor party. That's right. And uh, ladies, we're not forgetting about you. Uh, the bachelorette party is a big thing. They also call them hen parties. Uh, they called them early on, I think, hen parties. But they came about much later, uh, generally between the 70s and the 90s is when that kind of started. And we'll touch on both. Uh, as we go along. But first, and Livia, I, God bless her. I feel bad for even putting her through this, but <laughs> she helped us put this one together and yeah. did a really good job uh, in that she looked at a lot of other sort of pre-wedding traditions. And, you know, the bachelor and bachelorette parties are one thing, but there's a long, long history across every culture you can think of, kind of since marriage was even a thing, that mm-hmm. there is some sort of pre-day before or week before Rituals that different cultures partake in. Yep. Ritual bath, the mikvah in Jewish tradition. Mm -hmm. Ancient Greece, women used to hang out and sacrifice things to the gods before the day before. Uh, There was one in Sweden I thought was pretty interesting. In 17th century Sweden, uh, they celebrated the Mukvelar, which is virgin nights. So they Mm -hmm. would bathe and feast and drink with their friends. Uh, And there was actually one town in 1649 uh, of Uppsala that said, no more. Like, you're showing up so hungover on the wedding day, like, we can't do the Mukvalar here anymore. It's banned. Yeah, that's another thing, too. Like, there are a few bad ideas that have to do with marriage that are, are worse than having a bachelor and or bachelorette party the night before yeah, the wedding. not the time to do it. That's when you have your rehearsal dinners and stuff, usually. Right. It's supposed to be, like, kind of chill and exciting, yeah. not... Not partying like that the day, the night before the wedding. Like, it, you have to be so bad at thinking things through to actually do that, that it's just kind of mind-boggling, but also hilarious in a way. <laughs> uh, there's one in northeastern Scotland, I think in rural Scotland, that I think still happens. I'd love to hear from our friends yeah, there. But uh, they will drive. It's called the blackening. They will get the bride and groom and kind of— Uh, fake kidnap them. And you'll see that Mm -hmm. happens a lot in a lot of these traditions. It's like, we've got you now. And they will cover them with disgusting, sticky things, uh, dog food, rotten eggs, just anything that'll kind of stick to your body and humiliate you. Mm -hmm. And they will drive you around in the back of a truck, basically around town. (laughs) And they basically said there are not many rules except that you're uncomfortable and embarrassed, basically. 
Uh, one thing I saw was that um, this is like a farming community, so that like manure doesn't actually work because oh, yeah. everybody's so used to the smell of manure that if you smear it on somebody, they're like, whatever. Yeah, it's not but a blackening. They're not close to the coast, so they'll actually drive to the coastal areas to get like fish guts and stuff Duh. because those people do find the particularly disgusting and offensive smelling. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of mean. But it actually evolved out of a tradition of washing the bride's feet, and it ended up becoming <laughs> that Jeez. in this little part of Scotland. But, yeah, it still goes on from what I saw. So if you look at the U.S. and uh, the United States, we're talking about, like you said, the 19th century when these things kind of became a thing. Uh, there's a sociologist uh, named Thomas Turnell Reed uh, that did an article with Live Science and basically said, you know, when we became industrialized and we moved into the cities and started working in factories, new rituals came about now that you weren't in doing sort of the farming community rituals, mm -hmm. where if you had kind of any sort of promotion or anything to mark a rite of passage, people would maybe an apprenticeship would end or something. You would take people out and you would like drink beer with them, maybe play practical jokes on them, mm -hmm. maybe tar and feather their, uh, their jumpsuit for work or something like that. Right. And th this is what the sociologist thinks sort of led to this tradition of bachelor and bachelorette parties of getting together, drinking a lot, maybe some practical jokes. We'll get to those later, but those are still a thing apparently. Yeah. Which makes sense. I think it's a pretty good argument because you have these, these, you know, new living situations, but still some of those old surviving traditions. Yeah. So you have to come up with, you know, new customs around those traditions because, the old living situation isn't around anymore. I, I totally buy that. I buy it too. Uh, and Livia also found this really cool story uh, that sort of exposed a lot of um, how, the, how the Richies lived in the Gilded Age in New York. Uh, it was exposed with something called the Awful Seeley Dinner. Uh, and this was the Seeley family in New York. And this was these were relatives, I think, ancestors of uh, P.T. Barnum, right? Descendants of P.T. Barnum. Yeah. The, the what's grandson. The, what's the difference? I always forget. P.T. Barnum, who came before, was right, their ancestor. The ancestor. They are the descendants right. of P.T. Barnum, right? So, <laughs> That's right. Um, isn't one of your favorite movies The Descendants? It is, but it, I also call it The Ancestor sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Herbert Barnum Seeley uh, threw this party for his brother Clinton um, just, uh, I guess, 11 days before he was to be married, and I guess did get married. And it was at a, a restaurant called Sherry's at a time before there was, like, dining out was a thing. So this was really, really expensive. Actually, you know what? Dining out was a thing. I looked into this party a little bit more. But okay, uh, if you were really elite, as you'll see, you like a lot of privacy and you like to do some, like, nasty things sometimes. Uh -huh. So there was this big private dining scene in New York at the time that was a really, really big deal. Okay, potato, potato. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but so they were doing this private dining thing. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense because they um, they had very tight-lipped wait staff, help, performers. Mm -hmm. When they were interviewed with the cops, all these people were like, it is not within our, our social strata to inform on the people who hired us. We just right. can't. And from what I understand, the cops were like, yeah, we, we totally get it. We don't have a case, but we totally get it. And it wasn't until Herbert Barnum Seeley told the cops who some of the attendees were, that the cops went and interviewed these incredibly rich people and, and stuff started to come out. And it was like, no, they actually did have a woman who did like this, who jumped naked out of a, um, I guess, a, a cream pie or something like that and danced on the table. Her name was Little Egypt. She was kind of a, a famous famous um, dancer at the time. But this is a time where, like, as far as society was concerned, you did not do this. This is like finding out that, you know, the wealthy have eyes wide shut parties, I think was was what it what it was like. But, you know, times a million because the the Victorian era was so genteel. Yeah. But here's the thing. They totally did this. Right. <laughs> which is why they had all those private dining events. Because they like to do stuff like this. So they were tipped off by, I think, an agent of one of the dancers. The cops were tipped off that there was, you know, lurid things happening. Mm -hmm. So the cops show up and accidentally walk in on um, a bunch of dancers changing, like, mm -hmm. you know, changing their outfits. And were embarrassed away, basically, away from the premises. 
said we, you know, didn't see anything. And then the Sealies, it probably would have just kept quiet if it hadn't been for the Sealies. Right. Taking it back to the city and saying, you know what, well, we want to, we want these cops investigated. And so all of a sudden their dirty laundry is being dragged out. And it was quite the scandal of the New York court system because, like you said, these people didn't, this quote-unquote low society didn't mix with the high society. And all of these people were brought through to testify in court. And apparently the people in court watching was everything from the high society person looking to to get dirt or laugh at their, you know, uh, their comrades or whatever, to (laughs) the to the the guy on the street who was just looking for warmth in the courtroom. Uh And so there were all kinds of people mixing in New York when you really never saw this happening. And, you know, the, the dancers, they had all their outfits rigged to either be snipped off with scissors or for their Mm -hmm. uh, stockings to drop. And it was just for the time, very lurid stuff, big time embarrassment. There's a lot of fun um, contemporary contemporaneous (laughs) articles. There's one from the New Yorker that's really fun to read about the awful Sealy party uh and just a little quick side note about little egypt um she was quite the business lady apparently Mm -hmm. she was a real estate investor and died of uh, very sadly died a couple of years later of gas asphyxiation in her apartment but died with in today's dollars about a million bucks in the bank yeah so she had it going on yeah, and apparently she was secretly married and her husband wouldn't claim her in public. But when she died, he came forward immediately and was like, that was my wife. That's oh, my money. What a jerk. Yeah. So um, the upshot of the awful Sealy dinner, as it was called, it gave bachelor parties or bachelor dinners is what they were called at the time. Kind of a bad name because everybody had assumed that, yeah, there's some drinking and, mm-hmm. you know, they they smoked maybe an extra cigar or something like that. This really exposed them uh, and and just just it gave them a bad reputation. It turns out for like 25 years tops. Because no less than Emily Post, Mm -hmm. in her 1922 book, Etiquette in Society, in Business, in Politics, and at Home, wrote that the bachelor dinner is popularly supposed to have been a frightful orgy, but in reality, it was a sheep in wolf's clothing. So her point was... Less than a quarter century after this awful Sealy dinner, when it comes out that the rich at their bachelor parties hire, like, couples to perform sex shows in the middle of dinner, um, by by this time, Emily Post is saying, no, that was all just hysterical. They're actually very staid events. Yeah, and she really, I don't know if she didn't know what she's talking about. That's what I think. <laughs> Probably so. I was, just didn't know if she was trying to just make things seem a little more upstanding than they were. But yeah, she probably just didn't even know what was really going on. Right. Uh, Because uh, I think it was that very same time period, there was a counterclaim, which I just called the reality of it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was an oral history gathered by the WPA, which is uh, a Rhode Island French Canadian uh, of a Rhode Island French Canadian textile worker named Henry Boucher, who described in first person his own stag party. Mm -hmm. And it was a raucous affair, basically. They had a priest there that gave a speech about the duties of a married man and gave a toast. But then they basically said he had the good, you know, the good sense to get out of there really quickly. (laughs) Uh, And we were really relieved because, you know, in come the the striptease acts and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. we didn't want the priest here. So uh, Emily Post had it all wrong. That's that's my take, that she was just like, this isn't possible. My my brain won't comprehend what's actually going on at these bachelor dinners. Yeah. So um, at the very least, by the 19th, late 19th century into the 20s, the bachelor party is really starting to evolve and take shape and reflect what, what we're seeing today, right? And I say something else that's evolving and taking shape is a uh, ad break. <laughs> very nice. Stop, stop. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. 
The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the Mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Chuck, so the whole time that the bachelor party is evolving, starting in the late 19th century, there wasn't really anything that was... um, What's the word I'm looking for, Chuck? I don't know. The bride didn't have anything quite similar to the bachelor party. Analogous? Yes, thank you. All right. Um, But there was like a bridal shower. Those have been around since, from what I saw, 16th century Belgium. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the origin story for those is really sweet. There was a wealthy girl who fell in love with a poor, I saw a miller's son. Um, and her father was like, you can't marry him. And if you try to proceed, I'm, I'm keeping your dowry and mm-hmm. you guys will be broke. And so don't even try it. She said, I don't care, father. I'm marrying him anyway. And they got married anyway. And the town found out about this and was so moved by their love that they actually brought gifts to get this couple started in life nice. to in, in in lieu of the dowry that I think the father finally relented and was like, here, fine, here's the dowry too. But they say that that's the origin story of the bridal shower, which was the bride and her friends and her future in-laws and her mom and her future mother-in-law um, kind of hanging out, having a very nice, um, tasteful like luncheon or brunch, mm-hmm. and then getting, you know, presents that were usually of like a household nature. That's right. Uh, and in the 20th century, early 20th century, in uh, Britain, women there started celebrating uh, what was called uh, ribbon girl traditions. Mm-hmm. And they would decorate the bride with ribbons and hearts and kitchen utensils and stuff like that. Because, of course, this is a time where they were like, get ready for a life of, you know, domestic uh, servitude. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what's coming your way. Here's and, a spatula. Yeah. And they would parade her around on the factory floor where she worked. Um and then this sort of evolved over time. And then by the 1960s is, and especially into the 70s, is when women, especially in the U.S., started saying, hey, 
you know, maybe these uh, showers we're throwing should be a little bit more like what these guys are doing. Mm-hmm. And um, this is kind of pre-bachelorette party still, but they would have right. uh, what they would call a personal shower where all of a sudden you're not getting a toaster or a spatula, but you might get, you know, like a sex toy or something fun like that. Right. And the the future mother-in-law was typically not invited to that one, I think. <laughs> typically, unless, you know, she's fun and has a open mind. Sure. So that's the 60s, I guess. I'm taking it as the late 60s. Yeah. Within three decades, um, the early 90s, so within just a couple decades, actually. Yeah. Um, it evolved, at least in the UK, into hem parties, which became like boozy, raucous body events where the the, the bachelorette party that you might see at a club today mm-hmm. really kind of finds its root, from what I understand, in the UK in the early 90s. Um, and there's, I think they're still called hem parties today. And then in the United States, Chuck, they attribute the rise of bachelorette parties, not necessarily from people going over to the UK for hem parties and coming back and saying, like, we got to try this, but almost evolving independently thanks to the arrival of the Chippendales Review in Los <laughs> Angeles in yeah. 1979. That that apparently kicked off the bachelorette industry, bachelorette party industry. I can only think of Chris Farley when I hear the word Chippendales. <laughs> and Patrick Swayze, too. Yeah, what a great bit. Um, Man, and that look that Patrick Swayze has where he's just like, I can't compete with this when he's watching Chris Farley. It was just priceless. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would like to equally shame the bachelorette parties because there are two words of advice. If you see a, a big raucous bachelor party coming your way in a bar or a club, mm-hmm. run mm-hmm. the other way. If you see a bachelorette party headed your way in a club or a bar, run the other way. For sure. You don't want to be swept up into any of these shenanigans. Uh, And I have unwittingly somehow (laughs) been swept up in bachelorette party shenanigans more than once in my life. Because (laughs) a lot, yeah, a lot of times there's a uh, bachelorette parties will have a kind of um, body scavenger hunt kind of thing Uh where they're like, but they're all dares. Like the, the bride has to go do whatever to whoever. Right, and I've been that guy a couple of times somehow, where they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> "She wants to do a, a, I don't even know, like a, a shot out of your belly button or something dumb." Sure, it wasn't that, but just it's it's always stuff like that. Take a shot from a stranger's beard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I think I still have a, a bachelorette in my beard somewhere. <laughs> uh, there might be like whipped cream involved. Just just go away. You don't want to be a part of any of this stuff. Yeah, it's true. Or at least I don't want to be. It's just they'll, embarrassing for me. They'll put a penis-shaped straw in your mouth faster than you can say what I the know. heck's going on. You open your mouth to say, wait a minute, and there it goes. So um, Chippendale show up in 1979. By 1981, the word bachelorette party is um, coined in a New York Times article. Um, and they're just talking basically about... Uh, what you might think of as more of like a spa weekend today, not the bachelorette party like you just described. Um, That didn't come along until about the 80s or the 90s. And one of the reasons why, at least I should say in the United States, definitely in the early 90s in the UK, some people say, no, it still wasn't even a thing in the early 90s in the US. But one of the reasons why they became bodier and bodier and more and more extravagant and more and more out and proud, basically. Proud is the wrong word, but you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. Is because people started getting married later and later, Mm -hmm. and so they didn't have to go to their parents and be like, I need $5,000 to throw this party that you would not want me to have ever in a million years. Yeah, totally. They had their own money, and their friends had their own money because they weren't weren't getting married at 21 and then starting their professional life. They've been— working for a decade already before now they're going to get hitched. And that changed everything. That was the big sea change for bachelor parties that, in my opinion, made them no longer make sense in that context any longer because people weren't getting married basically as children. They were getting married as grown adults now. And so it doesn't make sense to go back and behave like children the, the, you know, a few days before you get married. That's, That's what I'm saying. No, I'm with you. Um, and also, as that sort of was in lockstep with the rise of a party industry that kind of, you know, marched in lockstep with it. So people started having more money because they were getting married later. And all of a sudden, there was this industry surrounding it where, 
you know, you just have to call a company if you want to. I mean, you right. can also plan your own stuff, of course, and people still do that. But, I mean, Livia gave one example. There was a, a scholar uh, named Diane Tai who interviewed, and of course, this is all, again, the, the thankfully, they don't do a lot of studies, like real studies on this stuff. Mm-hmm. But they did some, she did some interviews with um, middle class, Eastern Canadian middle class white women in the mid 90s <laughs> and then interviewed uh, the same type of people uh, in 2017 and 18. And the big difference was in the mid 90s, they were all just sort of planning the stuff from scratch. Right. And by the time the 2010s came along, you would call a company up and there would be a script basically where you drank these, you know, uh, colored sugary drinks and there was a a penis cake and mm-hmm. uh, games, you know, pin the pin the penis on the Playboy, and there might be male strippers and just a lot of phallic stuff happening. Yeah, but um, you know, it's like it's one thing to plan all that from scratch. Like that is your best friend who did that for you. It's another uh-huh. thing for your best friend to just like email a company right. and be like, "I need an, <laughs> I need this on this night, and we'll show up, and then that's it." You know, the soul's taken out of it a little bit. Oh no, I totally agree because any. Any party you throw for someone should have that personal planning touch, sure. I think, you know? Yeah, so hats off to the maids of honor from the early 90s. Shout out to them. Right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, if you do any kind of research on bachelor and bachelorette parties, you will find a lot of articles kind of starting in the late 90s. Yeah. Everywhere from, like, Vice to Maxim to the New York Times. Where they And they're all written a little mournfully and sadly. Where, where they're saying, like, you know, the old days of the wild hedonistic bachelor parties are going the way of the dodo. And these days, guys just want to go on a fly fishing trip and ladies just want a nice spa weekend with some good wine right. and Prosecco. Uh, and is, isn't it a shame almost that that guys aren't going out and trying to have sex with one more lady <laughs> before their wedding day? Right. <laughs> they're very yeah. annoying to read to me. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true for sure. And, like, they always, like, interview somebody who's like, what's going on? This is terrible, you know? <laughs> we can't let um, this happen. Exactly. But the thing is, from from all appearances, the bachelor party is not actually going away anytime soon. The, the rowdy, raucous bachelor and bachelorette parties. Again, yes, more and more people are coming up with alternatives that suit them and their friends and their, you know, demeanors much more. They're just like, I don't need to be publicly humiliated because this is some sort of rite of passage that, you know, my dad went through and my older brother. Who mm-hmm. cares? I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I think that that sentiment has really kind of freed people quite a bit. But there's still, I would say, the vast majority of a bachelor and bachelorette parties are of the very stereotypical kind that you imagine. Yeah, and you know what? I haven't even been to many of those. Uh, my dude friends, I feel like a few of them had those, and I was out of town when they got married, so I was just around for the wedding. But I went to one of them, mm-hmm. of one of my good friends, who had kind of a stereotypical uh, – I mean, there were no, like, sex acts, but, you know, there were strip clubs and just all debauchery. And right. I was so, like – all that stuff just makes me – it's not even uncomfortable, but nervous. <laughs> right. Like, oh, I just I've seen too many movies, and we'll get to the movies in a second. Or just, I don't know, just bad luck coming that I just don't want to be super involved. And right. these are like close friends sometimes. And so for for that one, I was the uh and I'm not putting myself up as some like saint or anything at all, but I just don't want to be involved in that level of of uh hard parting for the night. Um and I was the driver. We rented a van, and I sober drove everyone around. Oh, wow. Drove them to all the places. We saw Snoop Dogg at a strip club in Atlanta, which was kind of fun. Sweet. Uh, and he remarked that we all had sideburns. This was the 90s <laughs> after all. So Snoop Dogg <laughs> recognized us. Uh-huh. He was, well, I'll tell you what he said later uh, in private. But uh, as soon as I got them back to the rented hotel and everyone was, you know, going to be in one place, I said goodnight, and I left. <laughs> Oh, yeah? You're like, okay, you're all safe. Goodbye. Thank you. That was it. And I heard the stories later, and I was like, boy, am I glad I left. Right. And these are people that I love, and I'm not judging them, but it's just just never been my scene. I'm too nervous about that kind of thing. Yeah, but again, I think it's really cool that younger people today, and younger means, I guess, (laughs) people in their 30s even, Uh as far as we're (laughs) concerned, Chuck, Yeah. um, 
are like that they are comfortable saying, I don't really want to do that. Everybody, do we have to do that? And yeah. everybody else is saying, no, we don't have to do that. Let's figure something else out. Yes. You know, not. And again, if you are really, really into bachelor parties and you are so psyched that your best friend is going to throw you just a rager of a bachelor party, man, hats off to you. Like, I don't think anything we're saying is meant to like. Like you said, yuck that young. No, be safe. I just think Don't it's cheat. cool that there's there's people are like, okay, cool. You know, let's do something yeah, different instead. And they feel comfortable doing that. I because agree. it shows that America and the West is growing up. <laughs> let's take a break. Okay. We'll be right back. Stop, stop. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the Mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we promised talk of movies. You can't talk about bachelor or bachelorette parties without talking about movies because there are movies called Bachelor Party. Uh, there was one called The Bachelor Party from 1957. I want to see this movie. I kind of do, too. Uh, it was based on an old stage, uh, I'm sorry, TV play. But mm-hmm. uh, this is sort of one of those things where goodness wins in the end because the newlywed, uh, you know, inevitably it's revealed that his his home life, his secure, quiet home life is much better than his playboy friends who kind of plans this evening. Right. And the the potential love interest is played by uh, Morticia Adams. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Carolyn Jones, I think, was her name. 
I don't know if I've ever seen her not in her Morticia get up. It's uh, it's odd. Yeah. You can tell it's her if you know that it's her, but mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it just doesn't quite look like her. Gotcha. Um, and then there's like the hilarious typical boomer humor of um, How to Murder Your Wife, a 1965 <laughs> Jack Lemmon movie who, who figures out that he married a um, a not great woman who was the person who jumped out of his friend's cake at the bachelor party the night before. Which The Hangover totally stole. Yeah. Ed Helms yeah. married uh, Heather Graham. Sure. So Accidentally, yeah. I don't know if we should jump forward to The Hangover yet because that was just such a monumental movie as far as the bachelor party genre goes, Chuck, that I want to give it its due. Yeah, yeah, we'll wait on that because uh, <laughs> we have to park it at 1984's Bachelor Party with Tom Hanks, who uh, Olivia points out, like, if you if you only know sort of today's Tom Hanks. <laughs> right. And you haven't Yelling seen Yelling at people in the party. airport to get away from his wife. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is very off-brand for him, um, but on-brand for him back – well, not on-brand, but, you know – he did a lot of kind of uh, different kind of comedies earlier in his career. Mm-hmm. And I used to love the movie Bachelor Party. I thought it was so funny. Uh, looking back on it now, it is kind of an – I mean, it's still funny in a lot of ways. But it also has, you know, transphobia and uh, casual racism here and there. And, yeah. of course, women are sexually objectified through the whole thing. There's a donkey that they almost get to have sex with a woman. Uh, but it's, it's sort of a red herring because the donkey dies of a drug overdose before it can happen. <laughs> right. uh, but I used to love Bachelor Party. I'm just, I haven't seen it in a long time, but that was one of my <clears throat> movies in college. Uh, Very Bad Things was a dark comedy where there was the accidental killing of a sex worker. That was uh, such a terrible movie. I saw it back then. It was It wasn't good at all. No, and not like, oh, the acting's bad or the direction's bad. It's like the, just the concept of it. Yeah. It was meant to be funny, and it wasn't. Like, it really missed the mark and yeah. just made the whole thing just terrible. Tonally, so it is, was a This is 98. Mess. Yeah. I'm like in my early 20s, and I'm like, this is reprehensible. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, the Hangover finally came along in 2009, which took the place of Bachelor Party, I think is sort of the quintessential definitely Bachelor Party movie. And I'm still on record as... Thinking the first Hangover was a very very funny movie. Okay, you didn't like it, right? I no. think we've talked about this before. Not really. I mean, it's fine if I'm not gonna <laughs> try to detract from it. I, I know it's like one of the most successful movies of all time. Yeah, I thought it was very funny. I thought Zach Galifianakis was great. Yeah, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Mike Tyson. No, I th- well, I thought Ed Helms was great. Sure, and I thought Ken Jeong. <laughs> Yeah, uh, was very very funny, and I just uh, I thought it was very funny. Okay, and the and the sequel is terrible. Was it the one set in Thailand? Yeah, it wasn't good at all. I did not think Bradley Cooper was very good in The Hangover, though. He didn't have a good role written for him. He had no. to play the straight man for everybody else, and kind of the jerk. Yeah, yep. yeah. But I, I love Zach and Ed and uh, Ken Jeong. I thought they were very funny. <laughs> yeah. What about Bridesmaids? Have you seen that? I have not seen that one. Oh, Bridesmaids is great. Yeah. It is really, really funny. Yeah. I've heard nothing but. Yeah, you should check out Bridesmaids, Kristen Wiig. <laughs> Just the plain scene with Kristen Wiig is, is worth the the admission price alone. Yeah, that one came out in 2011, and there was like this kind of grassroots um, uh, pro-feminist social media movement around mm-hmm. it, saying like, go see it. It's like, I, th- I saw it described as like a... Um, like, I can't remember the wording they use, but basically if you're a feminist or you're for women's rights, you have to go see that movie, basically. That it was like that groundbreaking and monumental, and it basically said, okay, women can have the same kind of movies as men. Yeah, It was absolutely. like, you know, the women's version of The Hangover in a lot of ways, at least yeah. as far as, like, genre stuff goes. I think it was more well-written than The Hangover, I'm for sure. sure. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, and then there was a movie that I don't know how I never heard of this movie from 2017 called Rough Night. And it was had Scarlett Johansson and Alana Glazer and Zoe Kravitz mm-hmm. and Kate McKinnon and Jillian yeah. Bell, like huge cast. Never even heard of this movie, but it's sort of like a bachelorette party that goes wrong, sort of like very bad things. But it wasn't critically uh, reviewed very well. But the filmmaker's great because mm-hmm. uh, she does that uh, along with her husband does that TV show Hacks, which is really really good. 
Oh, yeah. So maybe the movie just missed the mark. Or maybe, you know, I need to see it and judge it for itself, but not well-reviewed. Okay. What else? That's it. That's all the movies I got. <laughs> okay. So um, we, I think we've talked quite a bit about the fact that humiliating the, the bride or groom is like a thing. And part of that is kidnapping them. So it's not just humiliation. It's domination, too. And that typically comes through in... Um, the idea that that the the bride or the groom is kidnapped at some point, they're taken against their will, and they don't have any say in the planning. Like this is done for them, mm-hmm. but also done to them. Yeah, that's I can't imagine anything scarier than going to a bachelor party that was planned without my knowledge. <laughs> right. So apparently in Australia, their bucks parties, all of them start with a kidnapping. And like a serious kidnapping, so much so that I saw an article about, you know, um, imaginative ways to kidnap the, the groom-to-be. And they were saying, do not do it on the street in broad daylight, like <laughs> in a van, people, wow. because the cops will be called. But apparently that's how, how seriously they take it, that they need to actually tell people not to do that. Wow. They're like, how else are you supposed to kidnap someone? Uh, Yeah, and those can get out of hand with um, This is when the practical jokes uh, come in play Mm -hmm. Uh, There was one account from a journalist uh, David Boyer in his book Bachelor Party Confidential Where, and this is so wrong and mean (laughs) Where these friends, quote unquote friends um, Got this groom so drunk that he passed out And then they had his leg put in a full cast uh, and told him that he broke it and did not tell him until after his honeymoon. Yes. Like not to not Fiji. Like, not like the night before the wedding or even after the wedding. After the honeymoon, they finally told him that his leg wasn't actually broken. It's That's just not funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> I think it's hilarious up until like the wedding. And then you tell him and he's just watch he's just washed over with relief and that's hilarious. To not tell him before the wedding, so he's up on crutches that he doesn't need. And then the the honeymoon is the real clincher, I think. Then they, it just, that was just mean. Yeah. So like, let's funny ruin your point. expensive honeymoon. For sure. <laughs> you can't go swimming in Fiji. Right. Ugh. I thought great conception, poor execution. <laughs> yeah. Like day before the wedding, they all take the hammer out and, and break the cast up. Yeah. That's a fun, that's a fun scene. Sure. All right, well, let's wrap it up with a little bit on money. Uh, these things are quite expensive or can be quite expensive these days. Uh, there was a survey uh, by <laughs> savings.com, and we should point out that uh, out of the 500 people they surveyed, they made um, 40% of them made over 100 grand a year. So these are well funded people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they said the average cost for a man's uh, bachelor party is. About fifteen hundred bucks, and a bachelorette party was about nine hundred, right? And seventy five percent said it was uh, like a weekend event, and sixty six percent it was a destination thing. Sixteen percent right. was international, right? So these things have gotten really expensive, and I think <clears throat> they interviewed about half the people very quietly said, "Hey, I think it's gotten a little too expensive, and it's gotten a little out of hand." But I yes. felt like I had to do it. I read that this was. Um, not fully, but largely attributable to the rise of Instagram, oh. and that people are now trying to like, like what make their lives just look so amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and like the bachelorette and bachelor parties, such a big part of like the life at that age. That that was that's definitely something they spend money on just to Instagram it. Basically, I'm gonna start once a week. I should just start posting pictures of my bare beer belly. Okay. Just to fight that whole notion that life oh, is perfect. Oh, I gotcha. You know what I mean? What filter will you use? There, there is no filter. Oh, my God, Chuck. That hasn't been invented yet. You've gone mad. <laughs> Just log on to Chuck the Podcaster for some disgusting photos of me. Yeah, right. Doing heart hand sunset over your beer belly. Over my beer belly. <laughs> <laughs> I pledge. And that's my attempt to make the world a better place. I think that's a great idea, Chuck. I, I I support that 100%. I will like every single one of those posts. Oh, you're going to hurt my stomach? For sure. Uh, you got anything else? No, thankfully no. Okay. That's it for bachelor and bachelorette parties. I'm sure we could go on. There's more details, but, you know, 
just go to a bachelor or bachelorette party and see what you think. Uh, and since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, yeah, but before the listener mail, another reminder that after we read this, uh, you can check out a preview of Obsession's Wild Chocolate, uh, the great new show from our old friend Mangesh. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to call this... Oh, and by the way, we need to shout out another listener mail real quick. Uh, we heard from Diarrhea Planet. Oh, yeah? Did you see that email? No, I didn't see that. I got to go check. Yep, we got an email from them, and they said, Hey, guys, we heard that you were talking about us again. <laughs> Please and, stop. And uh, I'm sure you've heard that we have a reunion show coming up in Nashville. And then they said, if it sweetens the pot, you guys are our guests for the night. Sweet. Uh, and I really want to go, but it's in the two days of Thanksgiving week. Right. And Nashville, and that's just a tall order, Diarrhea Planet, yeah. to uh, to talk uh, my family into saying, like, hey, I'm going to leave Thanksgiving week for a night <laughs> to go see Diarrhea Planet. Right. <laughs> Emily's understanding, but that may draw, that may be where the line is drawn. Yes, but regardless whether we make it or not, that was very, very kind of Diarrhea Planet to offer. What Thank I want you. them to do is come to Atlanta and do a, another show. <laughs> right. Because I'm all You're like that. chomping on a cigar. You're like, you come to me. Yeah, come to me, baby. Uh, all right, so I'm going to call this uh, Thanks for the Company. Hey, guys, been listening to Stuff You Should Know on my drive to work for about three years. An old coworker introduced me to the show, and I would look forward to our discussions on each episode every morning over coffee. Uh, I recently had a baby girl, and my husband and I agreed uh, that it was best that I stay home for a little while. After about four months in, I noticed I was showing some signs of uh, postpartum depression, mm. and it hit me one morning But that what I really just missed was those morning chats in the office and the free coffee. Uh, so I started an episode with you guys and began deep cleaning our home. Decluttering and organizing has always been something that made me feel better. And every day I continue to tune in and clean during naps. Uh, presumably your baby's naps, because that would be amazingly efficient if you can clean while you nap. <laughs> uh, I now have those same discussions with my husband when he gets home from work. And I really just want to say thanks for the company, the memories, and the new ones to come. And that is from Anonymous. Great. Thank you, Anonymous. Uh, that was a wonderful email, and I'm glad we could fill that little hole for you. Right, Chuck? Totally. And if you want to let us know about something nice we did for you and we didn't even realize we did, we love hearing that stuff. You can send it to us in an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm in the co-pilot seat of the small Cessna plane, and we're circling the Bolivian Amazon. Beside me, the pilot's sweating because we're looking for a place to land and we can't find one. The weather was bad and, and the pilot was nervous and uh, it, was, it was quite exciting. Behind me is this guy I just met a day ago, this German cacao hunter named Volker Lehmann. Volker looks a bit like the German director Werner Herzog. Sounds like him too. The more dangerous or tricky the situation gets, the calmer I get. It's 2010, and Folker's letting me tag along as he searches for a holy grail. Wild cacao, the tree that gives us chocolate. Cacao's native to the Amazon, and now it's farmed all over the tropics, mostly in Africa. A few years before our trip, Folker stumbled upon an incredible variety of wild cacao in Bolivia, and he turned it into this mind-blowing chocolate. So now there's a gold rush for these magic beans, and Volker's hope is to stay one step ahead. There's an indigenous group in the forest called the Yurukare. Rumor has it they have a ton of wild cacao to sell. So the plan is, fly in, find a landing strip, take a dugout canoe to the Yurikare village, strike a deal. Below us, the jungle looks otherworldly. The whole thing is steaming, mist rising to form these immense thunderheads. And the thunderheads are dropping ropes of black rain back to the forest. At one point, we punch through a storm and water comes spitting through the vents of the plane. I shoot a glance at the pilot, like, what? But he just waves me off. 
It's getting hard to tell what to worry about and what not to worry about. For that, all I can do is count on Volker because he's been navigating the Amazon for 20 years. This part of Bolivia is all rainforest and grasslands. It's also a major cocaine flyway. The rivers are dotted with these homemade landing strips and small planes swoop in, pick up the drugs and head for Brazil. Those landing strips are super convenient if you need to get into the deep woods quickly, which we do, but it's also super dangerous. Hundreds of people get shot in the Amazon every year for all sorts of reasons. Just being an environmental activist is enough, but stumbling upon a cocaine lab, that's one of the surest ways to make it happen. But when you need a landing strip, you need a landing strip. The problem is that it's the rainy season and everything is flooded. The rivers have risen like 30 feet. The trees are in standing water. The ground is gleaming like a mirror. At last, there's a strip near a small cabin on the river, but it's really short. The rain uh, swamped part of the landing strip and the landing strip was homemade. No, it's not an official landing strip. The pilot swoops down to get a closer look and he doesn't like what he sees, and neither do I. He pulls back up and circles the area, looking for alternatives, but there are no alternatives. The pilot keeps circling back to that original strip like he's trying to psych himself up. And for all I know, we're running low on fuel. Yet Volker's still sitting there like it's another day in the park. And that is making me more nervous because I can tell that his appetite for risk is a lot higher than mine. And then the pilot banks the plane toward that strip. And for a second, I think, well, this must be another reconnaissance run because nobody would, oh no, he's going for it right now. The ground is rising in front of us fast. So I grab the handle above the door, tuck my head and brace and we hit. Actually, hit's the wrong word. It's super soft, thanks to all that spongy ground. So we break hard and slam to a stop, spraying puddles. And I'm like, we made it. Hoo-hoo-hoo. So I grab my pack and hop out. Volker's behind me. And it's like, hello, Amazon. It's a cathedral when you're on the ground. There's these massive trees that are dripping thick vines. There's flocks of actual parrots screeching through the canopy. And then, from that little cabin up ahead, four guys emerge, and they're holding rifles. There were like one guy coming, and then the second, and the third, and the fourth, and then they were surrounding us. And I was looking at the pilot. And he said, I have to leave because of the weather. And, you know, nobody said anything. And so he turned around his plane and off he, go, off he went. And then I realized, oh, we are in the middle of some people we don't know. I was nervous. I am trying not to make any fast moves because these guys look twitchy. And everything they say confirms my worst fears. They're watching this place for their boss, who's a Colombian man. And we've just landed on his private runway without permission. And I've been in the Amazon for all five minutes. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe I'm not really cut out for this cacao hunting thing. And all I can do is look over at Volker and think, I hope you got this. From Kaleidoscope and iHeart Podcasts, this is Obsessions, Wild Chocolate. I'm Rowan Jacobson. Chapter one, The Hunt. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 